Wow, this is a time of celebration, is it not? Just think, in the last 48 hours, $2,200 and $3,800 equals $6,000. For those who are less fortunate, those who are needy, those who are hungering and thirsting, sometimes just for physical food and water. Well, this last week, we also were celebrating St. Patrick's Day. It was sort of a holiday de jour in all of the schools and preschools. And we all get into it, whether we're uh, Catholic or if we're Protestant, whether we're Irish or not. They turn the river in Chicago green and everybody's Irish for a day. Well, in honor of it being St. Patrick's Day this past week, I've included in our worship material things that are from Celtic Christian spirituality. And Ireland was a part of that great Celtic movement that occurred. And so the, uh, the call to worship and the prayer of confession, that was Celtic in flavor. And it was not remembered by priests or written down. Those two items were picked up in families that were in the Outer Hebrides Islands and who had passed them from generation to generation. And somebody in early 20th century went out to these islands to farmhouses and asked them, how do you pray? So in a way, we're all Irish on St. Patrick's Day, but I'm Irish in my heritage. And last October, I visited Ireland and it made me aware of how much my heritage has formed my personality. You see, I love to tell stories, which is very Irish. And I can tell true stories, and I can sprinkle a little fairy dust now and then. And I can make up the darndest yarns with hyperbole or actually pure fabrication. As they say, this is the Irish way. Hmm. The legend that St. Patrick drove snakes out of Ireland is probably sprinkling of fairy dust. Probably not true. Because most isolated islands like the Hawaiian Islands or Iceland or Ireland just don't have snakes because of their isolation. So let's just sort of be aware that it's one of those myths that sort of makes us interested in what's going on. Well, thinking back to my being Irish, I stand amazed at how I am formed by habits and traits and ways of being that come from a homeland that I didn't visit until I was almost 60 years old. Traits that have passed through five generations of Henrys over the past 150 years can be seen in me. Well, that same principle of traits being passed from generation to generation applies to our spiritual heritage as well. We are molded by the Christian roots of long ago, by the culture that we live in in this country, which has its foundation in Christianity. And if you come from a Christian family, your family heritage has formed you in the Christian way. And we can't even fathom these ways, and yet they stand at the core of our very being.
Now, snakes may not have been a part of Ireland, but boy, they were plentiful in the ancient Near East, where the drama of the beginnings of our Christian faith was formed. They play an important part in forming history and lore that we now are receiving somewhere between four or perhaps 10,000 years after the facts. In the shadow of earliest prehistory, each civilization has a story of a garden, of a place of beginnings, a place of idyllic life that has been lost. And in those gardens, the snake is a symbol of deity and of fertility powers. The loss of paradise in the Garden of Eden and elsewhere is caused by a snake, which becomes known as a, a crafty creature and one of the best informed. Mythical snakes were cunning and smart. They were devious and they represented both evil but also deity. And so what caused Adam and Eve to be thrust out of the idyllic garden was their disobedience of God. And they were cast out because they had listened to the snake. Snakes. Maybe they're not in Ireland, but they're a part of our heritage. During the Exodus, God told Moses to craft the figure of a snake that was to be placed on his staff. God sent snakes to bite the people, to sting them, because they were disobedient to God. But then he had Moses craft the healing bronze snake on a staff. And any time somebody was bitten, they could look up and see the snake on the staff, and they were healed and they were protected. The story is later told, based upon this, that it's God's love in the face of unfaithful people that is represented in this lifting up of a staff with a snake on it because God sent healing and redemption and renewal to the people. The snake represents evil and destruction, but also healing and creativity. And so the sign or the symbol of this healing snake is still preserved in the physician's caduceus, which shows two snakes intertwined on the wand of mercury. I want you to think for a minute, though, about our innate fear of snakes. Now, you may personally not be afraid of a snake, but most people are. And that innate fear is embedded in the lore that comes out of prehistory. Most people have this great fear because a few of the snakes are deadly poisonous and we can't tell the difference. Most aren't deadly poison, but we just avoid them all. Well, the crafty snake of Genesis 3 is one expression of that primordial fear that is instinctively built into our genes that has been passed down from generation to generation. So Moses also presents the snake as a symbol of healing and protection as he lifts it up. In Numbers 21, God gave the figure of the snake placed on the pole as the symbol of healing that they needed. 
They were to look at the snake figure on Moses' staff and they would be healed. The irony of the story is so thick. That which can kill you can also heal you. Perhaps that's why the snake is still used as a symbol of physicians today. Cutting someone with a switchblade can kill, but a scalpel in the hands of a trained surgeon can cure. Injecting someone with a small amount of polio serum will build antibodies and protect the person from getting the dread disease. And so Moses holding up the snake in the wilderness is a symbol of the curative power of God, of healing and protection. And isn't it wonderful that the Apostle John compares the forgiveness of God in the wilderness when Moses lifted up the snake to heal the Israelites in the desert of Sinai and points to the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. John, the gospel writer, puts these Old Testament images into a new Christological statement that is both powerful and profound. The, Jesus, the vision of Jesus being lifted up on the cross is compared to the snake figure lifted on a staff. This powerful metaphor Jesus brings healing and protection. John 3.16, perhaps the most famous of the verses that we memorize when we're little children. God so loved the world that God gave a son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God sent the son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. How can this be in today's world? How can we apply this to how we live now? But when you look beyond the immediate, you have hope. And you can be lifted out of your current troubles by seeing life beyond those troubles and to be drawn into the future. No one knows what the world is going to be like in five years or ten years from now. The change that is occurring in our society and in the world is changing so rapidly that there are just no trustable trajectories that will show even a hint of what the world will be like. Our greatest anxieties you know, like those snakes coming out of the shrubs and surrounding you if you were wandering in the wilderness. Those greatest anxieties can take you down. Or those anxieties can be a challenge that causes you to rise to the occasion. They can beat you down and yet you can't lift yourself up from your burden. Things like your fears of illness or job changes or maybe your job is becoming obsolete. These can lead to depression or they can lead to renewed focus and energy. And thirdly, that which cures you might be painful, but that pain that you have to endure to be healed. There are, there's plenty of pain ahead in the world 
and all of us, its inhabitants. We're going to have to face what comes, and we don't know even yet what that will be. You have surgery and you hurt after surgery, but you will get better. There's pain, but there's healing. Birthing a baby can be painful, but it's joyful in its result. The loss of your financial portfolio can lead to new values and a new way of living, a simpler, more spirit-filled life. We don't know what the future will hold, but we have but to look at the risen Christ, the Christ who was lifted up on the cross, and we have an empty cross, and we can look at the empty cross to be reminded of his resurrection and that we can have the power and the strength to live into an unknown and uncertain future with confidence and with hope. We sing about the cross and Calvary's hill as being symbols that protect us and heals us from the sin sickness that deprives us of the abundant life that God promises. Many things in life will take away our focus on that which is most important, on the potential life that we can have if we but seek it. This theme is central to the New Testament faith. In many passages, we hear this theme, the theme of Moses and the theme of John being given over and over again. Hebrews 12, we are to run looking to Jesus. Or the Moffat translations would say, our eyes fixed upon Jesus. You see, no eyes for anyone but Jesus. The idea is that we are to withdraw our gaze from everyone else and everything else and to gaze at the risen Christ and symbols of him. In 1 Corinthians 36, Paul urges Christians to gaze steadfastly to the heights of heaven. And again in 1 Corinthians 36, it's a, we are being tempted by a hostile world, and the Christian gaze must be focused on heaven and things beyond the here and the now, the tangible, look to the intangible. 1 Corinthians 19, let us fix our gaze on the Father and Creator of the whole universe. God needs to be the object of our contemplation, our thought, and our worship. Let us fix our gaze upon the blood of Christ and let us know how costly it is to his Father because it was poured out for our salvation. As Christians, we must fix our eyes upon the wounded and the crucified Christ. The snake is lifted up and the people are healed. The Son of Man, the Son of the human being, the Christ who has come is lifted up on a cross. Instead of looking for snakes in Ireland where they don't exist, or other mythical goals, let us focus on the one thing that can give us true life. 
we can cast all of our anxieties on Him. He endured the pain so we could be free. He points to God's kingdom and life beyond this life as well as the abundance that He offers us in life now. And as we gaze at the cross as a symbol of God's power, we can sing that great hymn, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling, that ends with the affirmation that we are, as we look, we are lost in wonder, love, and praise. Just as we celebrated St. Patrick's Day this past week, Let us build to the end of Lent, to the last Sunday of Lent coming up, celebrating God's love for each of us and for this world. The core of it all is maybe expressed by William Chalker, who is a Bible teacher at Albertson College in Idaho. And he taught the same introductory Bible class every fall. And he would tell this story that sort of was the crux of the issue of the power of the risen Christ. He would say, this is what God wants for you. And he describes it as he was a high school basketball player. Not very good, but he was on the team. And one day the coach put him in. And all of a sudden he found the ball in his hand and he didn't even know how it got there. It just sort of bounced and he grabbed it and he saw the goal. And he began running for the goal, dribbling for all of his might and all of a sudden the crowd is shouting at him and his coach stands up and says, Chalker, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. It's that goal that you're headed towards. And William Chalker says that sums up God's hope for each of us. We seem to be headed to the wrong goal. We make the least important things the most important things. We search for snakes in Ireland and there are no snakes there. We pursue the pot at the end of the rainbow and there's always a Madloff there who takes it away from us. Turn around. Turn around and go towards the goal that gives us life and gives us life abundant. This is the fourth week in Lent. And we're focusing on making the connection with God who desires for us to have this abundant life by heading towards the right goal. By focusing on that which heals and protects us. In Lent we're being invited to open ourselves more fully to God, to the God who loves us absolutely. In the ancient church, in the New Testament church, Lent was the time when when people would make a recommitment to their faith in God. Those who had not yet come to Jesus Christ or made a commitment to go towards that goal rather than the other goal would make the decision and would dedicate themselves to a new way of being. And so the early church leading up to Easter was a time for people to make a commitment or a recommitment to gaze upon that lifted Jesus 
and to know where we are being led and to what life we will lead.